wife uh, is at home right now, and, and she texted me something that Brandon said to, uh, to, I think it was to Doris. He said that he was telling the, the other kids that my mom, she works with a computer and a phone. And then she says, or then he said, well, my dad, he's not normal. <laughs> he works with a computer and a Bible. And we don't know how to take that. We don't, I mean, we, we want him to understand the Bible is normal. That's a good thing. But he thinks his dad's not normal. I don't know where he gets that kind of stuff from. So anyway, so we're going to be in Hebrews this morning. Uh, and last year, on December 6th of 2013, 19 people walked out of the Ugandan jungle down to the river. They had their their AK-47s on and all this kind of stuff, and they hollered out to a captain of a boat, come over here, take us to the command post. These were boy soldiers from Joseph Coney's Lord's Resistant Army, a very demonic cult led by, by Joseph Coney. The trembling fishermen stood his ground as they approached, and against all rational instinct, he said, get in the boat. And I I think it had something to do with the gun probably pointed at his face. He took them across across the river to a man that was part of a group called Invisible Children. This man was there to help guys and help men and girls like this from this group and as he took them over to the to the to the enemy's command post which was the government there they did all the debriefing and they figured out that there was another group of kids and, and young men and and some older but another group waiting across the river to see what happened to them before they came out of the shadows before they gave up They were just wanting to see if this was for real, that everything that they hoped for was for real, because flyers had been dropped over time telling them that there was hope if they gave up. There was hope. They were waiting to see if the radio broadcasts were true, that the man that they believed in all their their life, pretty much, Coney, was a liar. Among the group, there was a lieutenant colonel in Coney's army called Okoto Kute, who was adopted as a boy in the year that I graduated high school, 1989. They risked everything because of a group of Americans that were Christians, gave these boys, these soldiers, something that they never had before. And that something was hope. Hope. They told the the rescuers that they escaped after months of listening to the radio broadcast, after years of of reading the flyers that were dropped in in the jungle because they were tempted by that hope, because they were completely hopeless in the life that they were living. With these months of expensive, expensive encouragement, 19 people led the way for others that were hiding in the jungle with the hope that there was life after the hell that they had been living. Growing up as young men, having to kill other people, being forced 
to do that. It's the only life they'd ever known. I want to talk about hope today. Because hope is a bright star against a world that is so dark. A star over a manger that you could see from the east. Where people, not even from the same faith or ethnicity, said, let's come and gather. Let's go see where that star leads. Because somewhere around Jerusalem, we're going to find hope this year. Say the word hope with me. Hope. Now say it several times, like a, you know, like a child does, hope, 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 right? The reason why I, say, uh, I had you say this is because researchers say that a word that is repeated sears itself into a brain, especially when it has a loaded meaning to it. And that loaded meaning is Jesus Christ. Our brain accesses that input, that data. And this is one of the words that has great meaning attached to it. God steps into our hopeless situations and brings us hope. Therefore, since we are God's children, we're the one he chooses to bring hope to other people. You and I get to be that hope to this world. That's a weird kind of thinking, isn't it? Because what do we normally think about? Our finances, our family, our health, maybe a good friend or two, but really we're concentrated on ourselves, right? And God says, I want you to bring my hope to the rest of the world. He steps into our, you know, our, our hopeless situation. And as flashy as Christmas is, it can be a hopeless time of the year for some. You would think it would be a joyous time for everyone because every TV show, at the end of the show, what happens? They all gather around the Christmas tree at Christmas Eve, all the friends, and they're singing songs. I I thought it was ironic as I watched a a show that I had recorded. Um, I watched at the very end of it, they started singing Silent Night, Holy Night, but they skipped the part about the virgin having the baby. And they say, what are the words? Here, wait, I have them on my phone because I can't ever remember the words off the top of my head. Silent night, holy, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. They skip round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, tender and mild. And they went straight to sleep in heavenly peace. And I was like, wow, they left out the hope. But our world says that at the end of the you know, 90-minute show or 60-minute show, it all comes together. But that is not reality sometimes, is it? It can be a hopeless time of the year for people with all our activities and all the distractions that we have. But it magnifies the hopelessness of grief or hurt or things that have happened in the last 11 months. Well, Hebrews 6.13, the the writer of Hebrews circles around this whole idea of hope. Not just in chapter 6, but but really the whole book, and I'm going to stay in chapter 6. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this 
so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have uh, we who have fled uh, fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Now, I'm going to fight the urge to tell you the whole backstory here of, uh, of Ephesians and, and kind of get into that. But this whole thought, this thought of hope as an anchor. Now, I don't know if you've been around big ships, and, and I, I got busy this last week, and I wanted to put a couple of different pictures of ancient anchors up. I have a really good one from Jerusalem and stuff, but, but these things aren't little. If you've ever been around a big ship, don't think of it as a little anchor that you throw off the boat. These things were massive. If you've ever been to a warship, you understand what I'm saying. Hope is an anchor that we hold on to. We're going to hang out right here because this is where we left Adam and Eve last week, in a very hopeless situation. They're kicked out of paradise, and their hopelessness and and the situation that they're in is countered by the writer of Hebrews who says, hope anchors us. Hope holds us into place. It anchors us. When life gets us down, we don't get the job we wanted, or we get fired from the job we had, or someone goes into the hospital, you lost your job, you don't have enough money, kids aren't coming home for Christmas. When life gets us down, because that's what life does sometimes, someone may ask you, why are you doing so well? How are you holding up? Why are you, why, you, know, why are you still standing? Well, hope anchors us. That's what it's about. You know, when a storm arises and you're in the boat in the middle of the ocean, you're going for harbor, you're going flat out because a storm is coming. Think of the show Deadliest Catch if you've ever watched that. You know, the storm is coming. You get to the harbor, you still have to anchor yourself. You still have to put down the anchor. You don't go up to the dock because what does the storm do to the dock? Just beat you against the dock, right? You have to anchor out there and ride out the storm. And you've got to skillfully put down the anchor in the right place. A good anchor holds us. The storm always seems to get worse before it gets better. But it doesn't matter because we're anchored. See, hope anchors us. Last week, Adam and Eve you know, had a hard time. They put themselves... Uh, you know, uh, it, it, they put their trust really in themselves and, and Satan. And Satan led them in a, uh, down a path that they shouldn't have gone down to. And, and they sinned against God. They hit a wall of hopelessness. All of a sudden, there's barriers between them and God. Barriers between each other and the rest of the family. Their new existence outside of paradise was not a fun time. They had it good and all of a sudden, their, their existence now includes shame and guilt and misunderstanding. Getting dressed every morning, picking out what to wear. Honey, should I wear the fig leaf or the fur coat this morning? You know, we kind of joke about it, but the emotional distance that this put between them and God and each other and the family. Especially when you think about it, Cain came and, and kills their other son, Abel. Talk about family dysfunction. I'm hoping that none of you have a family situation where one sibling has killed the other. 
Imagine going through that. A violent world with everything that that regret has and little to hope for. But we have something to hope for. God has made us some promises. Hope has damaged us, has beat us up, it has hurt us, but we are not out because we hold on to the hope that we have. God is planning a rescue, and that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about a rescue. God keeping his promises. And his promises protect them and protect us. Now, promises don't deny that we go through pain. Oh, how I wish we didn't have to go through pain. You know what I mean? Man, it'd be so much better. But through the hardship that we have, we survive because of what are we anchored on? Hope. Hope. Now, there's a considerable amount of waiting in this world, isn't there? I hate waiting. I can't stand it. Four-way stop signs. I wish they would go back and teach adults how to deal with four-way stop signs. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Can't stand it. You have to be careful because my son says, Daddy, why are you irritated? Because the stupid person in front of me won't go. Waiting is hard. But for the mature and the immature believer... It's hard for both. But the more mature believer learns how to wait, to hold on to patiently both sorrow and the joy that comes. There is hurt, but there's also healing. That's what we hope for. We go through the hurt because we know we're going to get the, the healing. We feel the pain, but it doesn't bury us. If we're allowing it to bury us, then we're not as mature of a Christian as we think we are. And we need to get on the path to become mature. We have to hold on to the hope. We have to trust completely that we are anchored. We even choose joy for things that are not even seen yet. Explain that one. You know, we go through these seasons, a, a sense of helplessness and loss, and I, I wish things, you know, we're almost like, I wish things could re, be restored to the way they were. Well, in reality, that's not the way it works. Oh, man, I wish it worked that way. But I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know and to understand that there's sadness. The sadness that we have can be our friend. Sadness can be a blessing. It serves as a healthy reminder about what is out there. Just like hunger pain is in fasting, to understand that, or, or birth pain is to, to a mother, that, you know, that it's a healthy thing, right? A reminder of hope, to believe in, in better days. When you're having a baby, that, that birthing pain means what? I'm fixing to have a baby. That means uh, there's a great joy there. I mean, new parents are, are way overexcited. I know that. I've been there. A reminder of hope. To, to believe on the creator of days. To, to bring about perfect timing, a perfect plan. Our daily joy is tied to our daily decisions in the morning. Have you ever thought about that? Is it going to be a good day or a bad day? 
You need to ask yourself that question in the morning. There are days when Brandon gets up in the morning and I know it's going to be a good day or I know it's going to be a terrible day. Oh man, he can wake up and you're sitting there going, oh, this is going to be a long day. He's already acting irritated or short or, you know, all those little things and not, you know, kind of acting up and stuff. I'm like, man, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Now that's, that's fine for a four-year-old or an almost four-year-old. That is not fine for a 40-year-old. You know what I'm saying? We wake up on the wrong side of the bed, yes, because we have life, right? Life puts us in certain situations. Some days we're, we jump right out of bed, we're happy about it. Some days we jump out of bed and we're just like, oh, I'm just dreading this day. And we go out and we talk to our mate and we're short with our mate. Or we're irritated about certain things. That is an immature life because we need to, to tie our joy into the hope that we have in the mornings. To say, whatever this day brings, I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. I hold on to that hope of the goodness to come. I'm going to get through with whatever happens today. We usually know in the morning how our day is going to go. Our mornings are important. Romans 8.18 says, I consider... And this is a very intelligent man who's saying this, who has been beaten and left for dead, who's been shipwrecked, who's been bitten by snakes, who's been abandoned by his family. I consider, says the man who preached in Athens and stymied the scholars in his faith of the unknown God. That's who's speaking here, Paul. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits. And I love this. He goes from myself to creation in one sentence. He goes from himself to God and what God did in one sentence. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice. Have you ever been frustrated not by your own choice? But by the will of the one who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly as adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Or in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. If you don't know what to pray, pray anyway. The Spirit intercedes for you. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we what? We hope. We think. We're not really sure. What does it say there? We know that in all things 
God works for good of those who love him. And most of the time we cut off the verse right there. Everything works good for those that love him. And we forget about the second part. Who have been called according to his purpose. Are you walking in God's calling? Are you walking in God's calling? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? One of these years, we're going to get to the book of Romans, and it'll take us years to get through it. Probably two and a half years. There's so much there. But this is Christmas right here. These words, this is Christmas. And as we go back to think about Adam and Eve, generations come and go after Adam and Eve, but the common denominator of every generation is how they're drawn and pulled into darkness because they don't learn from the previous generation. That is so sad. We don't learn from our elders. Now, if you're an elder, if you're older, you're sitting there going, yeah, that's right, those people don't learn. But remember when you were back my age, or the younger generation age, did you follow your elders? Some of you might say yes, and that's a good thing. Some of you might say no. But generations don't learn from the previous generation. Then we get to to Genesis chapter 6, a terrible time with terrible consequences. I'm always dumbfounded by this one thing. Even We even do it in our nursery. We got Noah's Ark up on the wall. How is it that Noah's Ark is marketed to mommies and daddies and children? It's a great children's story. Think about it. Have you read the story? I mean, come on. It's a perfect story. You got boats or a boat. You have animals. You got paired animals two by two. And then seven by seven, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, the seven by seven, go back and read the story, you'll understand. It's a great story for the kiddos, right? Wait a second, this is one of the most hopeless chapters in Genesis. And it's not a children's story. This is the most violent thing that God did to mankind by cleansing the earth of sin, by wiping people, you know, off the planet. Genesis 6-5 says that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Wouldn't it be great if somebody's website, you know, only evil all the time. That was their company motto. That was, that's man's motto. Only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on this earth and and his heart was filled with pain because he couldn't get them back. An entire generation of people lost to God. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. That is the saddest verse in all of Scripture. I'm grieved 
that I made them. You don't expect God to give up on us, do you? How long do you have to live in wickedness before you get to that point? Where you get to the point where God says, I have tried everything. I have to start over. Wow. Let's bring this home. Have you ever lost someone, but they're not dead? A friend or a relative or a son or a daughter or a parent? You've lost them. There's there's no relationship, but they're not dead. I mean, it's almost as if they are dead. You grieve that you've lost them. I mean, many things could have pulled you away. It could have been drugs and alcohol or, or low self-esteem, but the damage was done. Uh, you know, it could be even damage from someone else or depression or, or doubt or strong attraction to, to sin. Some hopelessness has taken them from you, but they're still alive. As painful as that thought is, I want you to understand something. God knows exactly how you feel. Read Genesis 6. I've lost them, and I can't bring anything. You know, I can't bring them back. I've done everything I can, and I'm grieved that I made them. Hopelessness is prevalent in our society. The sad thing is, it's also in the church sometimes. Let's not pretend that it's not. Let's not pretend that the church is perfect and and there aren't people that are just kind of hopeless in the church. You know, we like to pretty ourselves up and show show the best part of ourselves off. You know, and we we leave the other stuff at home. Because we're afraid that if I bring that to the church, man, if they really see me for who I am, (laughs) they're not going to like me. They're not going to have a friendship with me. They're not even going to say hi to me. They'll reject me. And that's the saddest thought of all because we should be able to be free here to show people, you know, the things that we're going through so we can help each other. But instead, we pretty ourselves up. But as we mature, we find out that we're not hopeless because we're anchored to the truth of hope. We go through hard times, but we know that we're going to come out okay. Hope is not a painless life. Oh, how I wish it was. It is living free of hopelessness. Remember, darkness in itself isn't even a thing. Darkness isn't even a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. A room is dark. What do you do? You bring a light into it. What happens? It lights up. You don't bring darkness into something. The light has to go away. You see what I'm saying? We don't want to give too much credit to darkness. We have got to be a people who show off our light to this world. Christmas Eve and lighting of the candles is great, but it's a symbol for the whole world for the year ahead of us, not just for that moment. Love Christmas Eve, coming together, light the candles, sing the Christmas songs, go home. The next day we wake up and we have Christmas together with family or friends and and those that are around us. Hopefully that's how it happens. But the light is for the whole year, not just at night. 
I think the, the message that we need to understand is Christmas is a message to the people, not from the church. It's a message of the, of the rescue to, to those who have fled, the rescue for, for those that are, uh, you know, from despair to, to go into peace, a warm place that can fill us if we allow it to, if we allow it to. Helen Keller pretty much put this into perspective. She said, I don't want the peace that passes understanding. You know the song, Peace that Passes Understanding. In the bur-. You know, she, I don't want the peace that passes understanding. I want the understanding that passes peace. A little play on words there. We have a, a father, God, who's experienced something very painful over and over and over again. And that is our sin. He is our dad. He has gone through it all. Jesus experienced the pain, but so has the Father. Since the creation, He has experienced it, and it won't resolve itself until the book of Revelation pays out. Genesis 9, 11, it says, and this is after the flood, Noah and his family you know, get out of the, of the boat and they look around and God says, I establish my covenant with you never again, Will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood? Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And the rainbow comes out and it's a sign to to you and the generations to come. And and, and this is what's really fascinating to me. This is the only time in the Bible that I see God almost in a repentant mode. God almost, he doesn't really repent, but he almost repents. He's like, I will never do that again. Isn't that what repentance is? saying, I'll never do something again. God is, is in that mode. I will never do it again. I will find a different way because this way was not the best way. By chapter 11 of Genesis, sin comes back with a vengeance. And the only thing that will save us is a Savior. Because for, for every one good person in the Bible, you go and look at the Bible, and, and there's actually been some research on this, and you can go and find it. And say, but for every one good person in the Bible, the Bible mentions 99 bad people. That's pretty, that's pretty sad, isn't it? Wow. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. As the story progresses you know, to, to a redeemer and savior, a rescuer. And that rescuer gives hope to the hopeless. Christmas can be a hard time for many. And we love the story of Santa and the, and the naughty list and the nice list. But, but unfortunately, life just doesn't work that way, does it? Oh, man. If you've lost someone around the holiday, you know how difficult it can be to go through these holidays. It can be difficult for them. But for those who have matured in the faith... It doesn't mean that there's no grief or there's no pain or or there's not stuff there, but there's a sense of everything is going to be okay here because there is hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. If we really have hope, epic hope of biblical proportions, then we need to be out in the world showing that hope, shining that light, showing them that there is a reason for the season, as the saying goes. And it doesn't stop with, you know, when New Year's happens and everybody has the party and woohoo, or, or some of us are asleep and we wake up and go, oh, it's the next year and we go back to sleep. It doesn't stop at that time. It continues on. 
because we have this unshakable hope. And grief is bearable when we have this unshakable hope. When our anchor is down, our hope exists in the plan of the eternal God. All we have to do to receive this hope is be willing to receive it. Even though Adam and Eve failed miserably. And yet we copy them to a T, don't we? Hope has daily enemies. Don't surrender. Don't come over to the enemy. Don't allow the devil to win over your life. Get up in the mornings and decide, I'm following Jesus Christ today because of the hope that I hold on to. And I want to leave you with Psalm 71 today. It's, it's written to David, or written by David as David was older and he found victory over his enemies. But what was interesting is he found new enemies as he got older. He says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked and the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since youth. From birth I relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. But as for me, I will always have hope. And that hope is a choice. I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measures, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me. O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, you might, or your might, to all who are to come. If you want to make a change in this world, and we all would say, yeah, you know, if I said raise your hand, you would all go, yeah, I want to change the world. But literally, I mean, if you really want to make a change in this world, then declare your belief, declare your God to the next generation. To the next generation. Generation within your family, generation within our church, to the next generation. We need to rebuild our youth group. We're going through a time of, of fluctuation and, and the numbers that we have in the, in the youth, but we need to start right there in the church. If we are to save the church, this church and the church in general, if we are to save it, we are to put our hope and our, our, and our joy and we are to declare God to the next generation. We need some people to come along beside Joshua and start praying about the next generation of our, of our church and of our youth here. To support them. If you do that, then what are you doing? You're doing exactly what David says. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation. 
your mind to all to come. You know, for some reason we think when we get old and gray, we're put out to pasture. Yet God says, no, when you're old and gray, you should be, should be serving me all the more because you have all the experience to show the people that are coming up underneath me. Now, old and gray, that can, it depends on how old you are, depending on what you consider old and gray. I'm getting a little gray, so does that mean I'm old? Well, you ask the youth, they'll say yes. You ask another 40-year-old, they'll say no. But we want to bring hope while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, come and give us hope. To remind us to give hope to the things that we cannot understand. Oh, how I wish I understood everything. Understood why certain things happen. Understand why certain people have died, why certain people don't die. You're sitting there going, this person, (laughs) that person deserved death. This person didn't, yet they're, you know, why did this person get hurt? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Man, I wish I had the answers. But the one answer I do have is I hold on to the hope that I have, and that's through Jesus Christ. That no matter what happens in this world, it does not get me down because I'm anchored in what? Hope. Hope in Christ. Amen? That's where you got to put your anchor. Well, let's stand as the worship team comes up here and sings about our hope. And we go on to enjoy our week. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we heed these words of hope. That we heed the, the, those that have come before us. And as we read uh, uh, from generations ago about what happened in the, in the Bible, what happened in their lives that we learn from it, that we put our anchor in you, and that we turn around and give this hope to this world. We not allow Satan to get us down. We not allow this world to turn us, to change us, to look like them, because we want to look like you, Lord. We pray that that starts this week as we decide every morning when we get up, am I going to show my joy? Am I going to show my hope or not? Mm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may you reflect the great joy that he gives you. May you grab a hold of that joy and show it to the world. Grab a hold of that hope and live it each day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.